Thanks, Tom. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, it's nice to see that everyone chose to sit in the middle. Um, some of you might know that I grew up on a farm. There were a lot of perks that went with that life, uh, such as being let loose driving a ute and riding motorbikes when I was way too young, having a couple of thousand acres as my backyard. It was pretty good. But my fondest memories I have of growing up are the time my brother and I had with my dad. Um, we didn't matter what dad was doing. Usually it would actually be pretty boring going round and round a paddock ploughing for hours on end, but it didn't matter. The point was to be with Dad. We, we loved to be with him. We enjoyed um, spending time with him because we loved him and we looked up to him and we wanted to be like him. Being out on the farm with him meant everything to us. The relationship between fathers uh, and their children and mothers and their children as well is a relationship like no other. And today we're going to be looking at another father-son relationship, a unique relationship that has similarities to an earthly parent-child relationship, but is also very different. We'll see from John chapter 15 that the father-son bond is one of love, a love that's been there for eternity. And Jesus has loved us with the same kind of love that he has with the Father. And we'll see that that sacrificial love is to be the basis of how we live in relationship with each other, in community. The reason why we're jumping into John 15 today is, and looking at God's love for Jesus and us and how we are to love, is because this is the first week of a three-week series. Um, if we go back. Clicker's not working. Sorry? It's on, yep. Battery? Don't know. Anyway, the first slide should show a graphic of our new series, which is Head, Heart, Hands, a three-week series. That's, that's it. Um, and today we're looking at head and the theme that we're looking at all three weeks is community. Head is kind of the theology, um, the basis for uh, what community looks like, what Christian community is. Heart is to do with how we respond in our lives to what God says. And then hands, the third week, is getting really practical. And we'll be looking at the issue of forgiving one another uh, in particular uh, and what that looks like as we live uh, in community. But first, let's, let's pray as we come to God's word. Um, Father God, we thank you that we can come here today to sit under your word, to sing songs of praise to you, and to be encouraged as we do that. We pray that your spirit be at work in us and speak to us through your word, and that we would have hearts that are responsive and that you would show us how to respond to your love for us. So let's dive into uh, John 15. You'll see an outline in your bulletin. We'll be following those three easy points. And keep your Bible open 
uh, because we'll be looking at that in John 15 as we go. The first point is that we love because God... No, it's not the first point, that's the title. The first point is that the, father's, um, the, the Father has loved the Son. Uh, have a look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. What do we know about the Father's love for the Son? What's their relationship? And what's it mean for God to be Father and Son anyway? These are huge questions, aren't they? Even if you've been a Christian for some time, they're, they're still really hard for us to get our head around. Uh, and, and today we haven't got time to even begin to scratch the surface. But uh, just to help us to get some context for Jesus' words, here's a boiled down version which hopefully will help us to get started. The Bible tells us that there is one God, one creator, the God who, who made and controls everything. But at the same time, there are three distinct personalities or, or persons within what we call the Godhead. There is the Father, the Son, Jesus, and there is the Holy Spirit. Only one God, the Bible is very clear on that, but three separate personalities or persons that relate to each other and have done since eternity past. Most of the information about that relationship um, within the Godhead comes from Jesus himself and his description of his relationship with the Father and how God relates to him and he responds to that. So here in verse 9 we're told that Jesus loves just as the Father loves him. Our problem is that we can't see what that looks like, can we? We don't know, uh, we can't see God, we can't see how that love and that relationship is lived out. But I want to show three places in the Bible that give us a picture of that love, which I think helps us to understand it. The first one is from the same book, the book of John, uh, back a bit in chapter 3. Um, it's up on the screen there. John 3.35, The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Two weeks ago, if you were here, we looked at Psalm 104. You'll remember that we talked about God's big hands, meaning that God has everything under his control. The sun, the moon, the stars, everything um, under them on the earth, the life of every creature, every, the nations, every prime minister, every president, every dictator, none of them move a finger without being under God's control. Well, this verse tells us that the Father has given all this authority, all this control, over to the Son, Jesus. The second verse I want to show you says a very similar thing. Uh, it's in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 16. Read along with me. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Everything has been created for Jesus, the Son. But notice, it adds an important piece of information. Everything was also created through him. In other words, the Son, Jesus, is the creator. He has always been with the Father and he is the one who in the beginning said, Let there be light. Let the sun and the moon appear in the sky. 
But let's come back to the father giving the son authority, giving him everything in his hands. By doing that, he shows his approval, his confidence in him, his love, his trust in the son. Think about someone you love for a minute. Uh, maybe your parents, maybe um, most of you are too, too... Well, some of you got kids at the back. A uh, few of us have got young kids. Um, maybe, maybe a spouse, maybe uh, your best friend. Handing responsibility over to them and control is a pretty key sign of your relationship with them, isn't it? That you love them, that you trust them enough to give them control over something important in your life. Julie and I share the same bank account uh, and uh, I've got to tell you that it's a pretty common occurrence for me to be locked out of my bank account as I forget my password, uh, as I come to do internet banking. Um, when we were living in Taiwan, we, we had to do internet banking. There was no other way to do it. Uh, on one occasion, we were locked out as usual uh, and Julie rang up um, the, the call centre and said, you know, gave the details, etc., etc. said, yes, this is my husband's bank account, but we share the same password. That preceded a lecture from the person on the other end saying, hey, you should never do that. You should never share the same password with your spouse because what if he ups and goes and finds some other woman and takes all the money from the account? Uh, you should never do that and leave yourself vulnerable. We do that because we love each other. We trust each other. Julie trusts me and I trust her. And so we're willing to trust each other with the same account uh, and the same password. <clears throat> the father demonstrates his love for the son in his willingness to give him authority over the universe. But even, that, even knowing that can be hard for us to get our head around. Uh, it's not exactly something we can relate to. It's part of our everyday experience. The last scripture, the piece of scripture I want to look at, is something that may not be part of our everyday experience either, but something that I think is a bit easier to relate to. And it comes from the final hours of Jesus' life on earth. The night before he was going to die, he knew he was going to die, Jesus went off on his own with his disciples to pray. He said to his disciples the words that you'll see from Mark chapter 14, verse 34. Jesus said to his disciples, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them. <clears throat> now I've been sad at different points in my life, but I can't imagine what it would be like to be sorrowful to the point of death. Perhaps you have been there. And you can relate to these words. What's going on here? Why was Jesus in such despair? In the next chapter of Mark's Gospel, we find the answer. We find that it wasn't just the, the um, expectation, looking, looking at what was ahead as far as the physical torture of dying on the cross. As bad as that was, as horrific as it was, it was something more troubling, something that was worse. As he was hanging on the cross, struggling to draw, draw breath, Mark says that Jesus cried out in Mark 15, 34. 
At three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemme which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are extraordinary words. God saying to God, the Son crying out to the Father, why have you forsaken me? Now, we haven't got time to unpack all that this means, but very simply on the cross, the Father did turn his back on Jesus. He did pour his anger out on his own son. Why? Not because of anything that Jesus did, had done, but because at that point, Jesus was bearing the, bearing the cost of the weight of the world, the sin of the world, every every piece of evil and wrongdoing that has been, ever been done, he wore the cost of our sin. At that point, the Father did the one thing that was unbearable to Jesus, that was to cut off his love. And that relationship that he had enjoyed with the Son from eternity past, at the point that he hung on the cross, and that gives us an insight into how the Father loves the Son that we can at least begin to understand. Again, think of the person you love the most, your spouse, uh, perhaps a parent, um, your child, whoever it is. Think of suddenly being cut off from them with no possibility of feeling their love. Instead of that warmth of relationship that perhaps gets you out of bed in the morning and keeps you going through the day, suddenly that's over and instead of that love, they turn on you and all you feel is hostility and anger. That can give us a tiny window into how Jesus felt when he hung on the cross. Because he had lived from eternity, inseparable, in complete unity, in love with his Father. Well, something that's perhaps easier for us to relate to than the Father's love for the Son is Jesus' love for us. And that's our second point. Have a look at verse 9 with me again. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Jesus' love for us is easier to understand because we can relate to Jesus as a human to human. He came to earth and, and took on flesh like us. We hear his words of compassion come down to us through the ages, through the pages of scripture. As he healed the sick, we see his love for the outcast as he put his hands on people who were untouchable, those who had leprosy, who were forced to live apart from society. We feel the depths of his love in the way that he welcomed the unlovable, tax collectors, the demon-possessed, sinners, those thrown out to the margins of polite society, forgotten and discarded. But most of all, we see Jesus' love for us in something that we just looked at a moment ago, and that's his death. Jump down to verse 13 with me. Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Jesus is referring there to his own death, the whole reason he came to earth. It wasn't something that was forced on him. 
on one level from a human point of view it looks that way doesn't it that he was betrayed by by sinful people that he was the victim of an unjust system determined to uh, treat him as a scapegoat but the reality was that Jesus died because he chose to die he chose to die for his friends that's us that's everyone who trusts in him and follows him, who does what he commands. It's also true, of course, that Jesus died for his, his enemies, isn't it? We told that clearly from the pages of scripture. But here Jesus talks about dying for his friends because he's addressing his friends and he wants to drive the point home to them how much he loves them. He loves them enough so that he's willing to give away his life with the greatest act of love that it's possible for him to make. Sacrificial love is hard, isn't it? For our love to cost us something. Even, even when we don't, we probably can't begin to imagine what it would mean to, to physically give away our life, but the idea of self-sacrifice is hard. Uh, I always struggle to do that. Um, a silly example that I even hesitate to share, but I will anyway. Uh, I try to make Julie an iced tea of a night time. Um, she has a habit of drinking iced tea. Uh, I try to persuade her to drink hot tea because it's much easier to make. You just pop a tea bag in, boil a jug, and away you go. But no, she insists on an iced tea, so I've got to do, do that, make a hot tea. But then I've got to go to the freezer, pull out ice blocks. Inevitably, the ice tray is empty, so I've got to go to the freezer to get the ice out of there, put it in, fill up the ice tray. Then I've got to go to the tap and fill and, and put and fill the trays up. It, it's exhausting. It takes about two minutes to do. And I whinge about it endlessly, Julie will tell you. But I do it because I love her. A silly example, which really only shows how, how easily I whinge and how hard self-sacrifice is to me. But for Jesus, his love cost him everything. He gave up his power and authority to be despised, rejected, abandoned here on earth and ultimately by his father as he hung on the cross. Now we might have a lot of questions about uh, what Jesus said or, or, or did. Even for us who have been Christians for some time, there are lots of things that Jesus said that are hard for us to understand, his parables, or sayings, things that he said. But one thing about him that is crystal clear, one thing about Jesus that we cannot miss, is that he loves us. Because he was willing to do the hardest thing he could possibly do so that we could be restored into relationship with him. Perhaps you're in the position of not yet being a follower of Jesus, uh, of still wrestling with who he is. If that is you, then I urge you to, to, not go, to start with, at this point with Jesus at the cross because there you see uh, crystal clear his love for us. You can't miss it. You'll see just how much he loves you and wants you to know him and to find eternal life.
So Jesus is loved by the Father and he in turn loves us, which he showed by laying down his life for us. And then we come to our third point, and that is that Jesus commands us to love one another just as God loved us, just as he loved us. It's huge, isn't it? To love him the way that he has loved us. Because Jesus, Jesus, we just heard, sacrificed himself. It's there in verse 12. My command is this, love one another as I have loved you. And as we've already seen in the next verse, he goes to talk about laying down his life for his friends. So Jesus is calling us to do the same thing, to be willing to lay down our life for our friends. That's for each other. That's a massive statement, isn't it? It's almost too much to take in. How can we possibly love like Jesus? Well, at one level, we can't, can we? Uh, at one level, it's impossible for us to do it. Uh, Jesus is unique. Um, he alone is fully God and fully man. We are not. Um, only Jesus could die for the sins of the world. We can't do that. So when Jesus hung on the cross, that was a unique experience that, of course, we can't replicate. So obviously he's not talking about that. But let's try to dissect what Jesus did mean. For most of us, he's probably not literally calling us to die, to die for each other. There are very rare exceptional circumstances where people are. Soldiers in a war situation who laid down their lives for their comrades. Tragically, we've seen examples this summer of firefighters being willing to lay down their lives to save those who are in the line of the fire to protect lives and property. But they are extreme, rare situations. For most of us, it's going to be much more mundane than that, much more every day. Sacrificial love. Jesus talked about it when we said we are to die for ourselves in another context. Die to self. It means putting the interests of others ahead of ourselves. Now, even this can seem like an impossible standard to live up to. And left to our own resources, it is. But when we're connected to Jesus through trusting in him, we have all God's resources available to us. We have his spirit. But there are also two pictures of Jesus in this passage that can help us to go forward in loving the way that Jesus talks about. As we look at Jesus and his love for the Father and his love for us, that can help us to do as Jesus tells us to do and love one another. The first picture is in verse 11. Have a look at it with me. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The context is that Jesus has just told his disciples to keep his command and remain in his love just as he has kept his father's commands and remained in his father's love. And here he goes on to say that his reason for telling them is so that they may be joyful, full of joy. 
Notice that he talks about joy coming from two places. One is my joy, meaning his joy, given to us. The original source of joy is Jesus. And he has joy in himself because of his relationship with his Father. Because he keeps his commands and remains in his love. Jesus wants us to experience that same kind of joy by remaining in his love. You see, Jesus' relationship with the Father isn't based on fear or duty. There were times when I obeyed my dad out of fear and duty. But for the most part, I did what I, he said because I loved him as a young boy and, and as an older boy as well. There was nothing I craved more than for dad to give me a pat on the back and show me his love. I obeyed him out of the joy I got from the relationship. Joy is a far better motivator than, than duty or fear, isn't it? I joy can't joy. I mean, fear and fear and um, duty can motivate us for sure, but they're not lasting. They're not good motivators in the end. They, we can't sustain them day to day as motivators. Jesus delights in the Father, and He wants us to delight in Him. And as a spin-off, for us to have joy in our relationships with each other. When we see obeying Jesus' words as a command that's a duty to us, then that, that weighs us down as a burden. We all know the crippling feeling of guilt that we can have when we, when we know that we ought to do something, but we don't do it and we can't do it. But Jesus wants us to be free from that. He wants us to find rest in him from our constant striving. He wants us to be freed from that constant cycle of having to strive to be liked, to earn our way in the world, to be accepted. He wants us to delight in knowing that we are extraordinarily precious to him. No matter what you think of yourself, perhaps you struggle with feeling a sense of unworthiness, that you're not good enough, that you, or that you're unloved or unlovely. Jesus wants you to know that he showed you his worth by paying for you with his life. That's the kind of joy that he wants for us. And the second picture comes from the book of Philippians. The writer is the Apostle Paul. And he's making the same point that Jesus makes in John 15, that we are to follow Jesus' example and have the same attitude as Jesus. And Paul, again, is talking about having this, that relationships um, in the way that we relate to one another. Um, don't have to turn to it, but it's up on the screen. Follow along with me. Philippians 2, this is Jesus' attitude. Being in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
Jesus let go of his rights. He let go of his position. He submitted himself to the Father's will. Because he loves the Father and because he loves us, the world. To finish off, I want to try to tie things together. Jesus told us to love one another as he has loved us. He loved us by laying down his life for us. What's that mean for us? I think these two pictures of Jesus help us. Joy and relinquishing his rights. We've talked a little bit about joy, that Jesus obeyed the Father out of joy and that Jesus offers us joy as we trust in him and obey him. I want to leave you with one thought about laying down our rights, what it means to follow Jesus' example in doing that. We could talk about relinquishing our rights in all sorts of areas, our right to be respected, um, to be recognised, our right to have our needs met, etc. But I want to talk about one area that perhaps we don't think of first up, but is nonetheless something that I think we all struggle to let go of. And that is to let go of our right for comfort. Jesus relinquished his right for comfort and privilege as king of the universe. For us, we could also call it the right for convenience. I try to hold on to that right all the time. When I make an appointment with someone, um, I'm very happy to meet up with someone, but uh, I want it to be at a time that's convenient. We don't like being put out, do we? We are willing to serve, but to serve according to my schedule. But Jesus calls us to be willing to be inconvenienced, to be ready to have that conversation when we're tired. To come to that leaders meeting on Saturday morning when you'd rather be sleeping in. To stay behind and clean up the kitchen after a church function, after everyone else has gone home and you're just, you're just tired and you want to go home and go to bed. Then there's another aspect to comfort, to do with our comfort zones. What makes us feel comfortable or uncomfortable. It's easy for us to serve when we're comfortable, I think. Um, When we're in our CG or uh, with a group of people going out to dinner afterwards, we know everybody, we're comfortable with each other, we're happy to pray for each other and support each other. But loving one another means relinquishing our right to stay within that comfort zone, within that bubble. Perhaps the best test of the quality of the community that a church has is to see how ready we are as regulars to make newcomers feel welcome. It can be hard work looking out for other people, can't it? You feel awkward, you're not sure what to say, you're a bit kind of scared about getting caught in a conversation and not being able to get out of it. But I want to say that I actually reckon that we do a pretty good job here at Bankstown with that. I think we're actually pretty good at making newcomers feel welcome. So well done uh, on that and keep it up. But I think there's also room for improvement. Um, 
And I think that possibly the harder thing than making a first time I feel welcome, hello, my name's Marshall, good, good to see you, etc., is a few weeks down the track as they keep coming back and taking the next step to making them feel comfortable. Maybe it's inviting them out, inviting them around to your place, opening up your home perhaps um, to, to play a video game, to go and see a movie. It's a little bit harder. It involves us going out of our comfort zone. The other side of the coin is for those of us who are a bit shy, who are quiet, who find it hard to step out and talk to people. You might feel on the outer, but just as others need to make an effort with you, it's a two-way street, isn't it? So that means that you need to perhaps suck it up a bit and make an effort to talk to people, to respond when other people make an effort with you. You also need to let go of your right to be comfortable for the sake of others so that they have the benefit to... So that they are able to offer sorry, the opportunity to benefit from your community, your contribution to the community, from your relationship with them. So whichever, whichever, whatever our personality, whether we're outgoing or, or find it hard, we all need to let go of our right to be comfortable for the sake of others. Jesus let go of his rights in a far more sacrificial way. He calls us to love with the same love that he showed us. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking, going deeper into the heart aspect next week and then the week after that, the hands, which is getting really practical. And we'll be looking, as I mentioned at the beginning, um, in the third week at least, particularly at the issue of forgiveness. Because that's a biggie, isn't it, in community? And I think that can be one of the hardest things to, uh, to come to terms of when we're living in community. Let's come together and pray. Father, we do thank you so much that uh, we have your example of, the, of your love, your relationship with the Father. And then we have... We are the beneficiaries of your love for us in the way that you sacrificed yourself in dying for us so that we could have life. And Father, as you call us to respond in that way in our relationships with each other, please help us to, uh, to, to find motivation, um, to, to be... Um, to be spurred on by your love for us and to remember what you have done for us as we love each other in community. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.